Good morning, man. How are you? Wow, that was stutterous. I love that. That video, did you like that video that they said about the spoken word? That was so well written. Just every word, the way it flowed, the effects of the lights on stage, that was just incredible. Christ be magnified. When I heard that song this morning and we sang it this morning, I thought of human supper camps here with the students. I don't know if you've ever been up to Humir in the summer. It is crazy. There are 2,000 students here on the grounds at one time in three different camps. Well, actually, there's four. There's a leadership camp up on the hill called Wildwood. And when rec comes, everyday recreation, it's a madhouse. Magnify. You ever hear megaphones buzz their horns? It's obnoxious. But that's all you hear for an hour. Every day, right before lunch during summer camp. And it's electric. It's awesome to watch. And a staff member in Hugh Blake once told me, you know what the word recreation really means? Uh, games? No? Think about the creation story of the Lord, how he created the universe, how he created you and me. Think about sanctification and how when you come to Jesus Christ, he is refining you more and more into his glory to be more and more like him. What is he doing in that moment? He's recreating something new in your life. Recreate, recreate. He is recreating something magnificent in your life to be used for his glory. But that comes with a trial. That comes with circumstances that you don't want to bear. Things that you don't sign up for. But just because of the fall world of this life, things that just happen that we can't control and we have to live through. It magnifies in our lives. A megaphone magnifies noise. A megaphone during recreation magnifies the sound of horns going off, magnifies when a game is over, magnifies when somebody broke the rule of the game. And when I think of recreate, I think of that Padre Stadium the other night on TV when the organist hit those couple notes that everybody knew what to do. If they were a community, when I think of recreation here at the lake, I think of teams. I think of people being together as one. Why? Because they want to win. They want victory. And they're called to do things that they're not usually supposed to be doing, but they'll do it for the sake of the team. And that's my life. That's your life. He knows all 
my failures, we sing that song that the band wrote so beautifully. He sees all my scars, and yet still he calls me into his mercy because I'm what if is. He tells me I'm, I'm is. I want to look this morning at the last chapter of the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen, I want to look at John 21. And I want to look at verses 15 through 25. And I want to look at this word of what it means to recreate. Because in this moment that we're about to read, Jesus is having a poignant conversation with one of his disciples. A disciple named Peter, who he sees all his failures, he knows all his scars, and still Jesus is ready to display his mercy on his life. And he's preparing Peter for a huge task that he's going to set before him. And Peter doesn't like it. If this is how it starts out. Verse 15, John 21. When they had finished breakfast, how was breakfast this morning? I, I didn't wake up. Oh, yeah, it's too early for me. And I can't, I can't eat before I speak. My stomach gets all, uh, I get all nervous. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon said of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon said of John, Do you love me? Is Jesus stuttering? No, he's driving up a point. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, get my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon said, Simon said to him, John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed but my, my sheep. And I'm sure that the third time around, Peter's tongue got very melancholy. And maybe it's because Jesus asked three times, and that was enough for him to remember his past mistakes. And Peter gets disheartened over this whole scenario. And point number one I want to make this morning is about God's word. It always turns us back around. My life is a theme. The word that God has given me for my sanctifying process in the face of work in my life is scribbles. We talked about it last night where I mentioned that I can't write with a bitter pencil. I call it my scribbles. And when you scribble, it goes outside the lines that were predetermined. 
And when you come to Jesus Christ, your life isn't meant to be a script. It's supposed to be lived outside those lines. So for me, the word scribbles holds meaning because it's the theme of my life. My scribbles refer to my failures, my shortcomings. My scribbles refer to my jagged edges that fall, diagonal off of the dump of paper lines and out from them. I have scribbles. Peter has scribbles. He has failures. He has scars. And what Jesus is doing is so beautiful here. In verse 16, it says, He said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. The first time he asked, it was feed my sheep. And the last time he asked, the third time he asked, it was feed my sheep. But the second time was tend my sheep. That's very different. It's easy to feed people. I feel sometimes that when we feed people our lives, it's noise. It's the recreation field of the human quad in the middle of summer. It's the noise of the team steering. It's the megaphones being amplified. But tend is a different story. Why the word tend? Because this conversation relates to Peter's purpose. Because in Matthew, it speaks about how Jesus tells him after he confesses that Jesus is the Christ, who do the people say that I am, Jesus says. And Peter chimes in, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in that moment, Jesus turns to Peter and he said, Simon Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to my kingdom. I'm going to hand over my keys to you. You're going to be a tender of things. You're not only going to feed, but you're going to tend. You're going to shepherd my people. And I'm going to use your failures, and I'm going to use your scars to show you mercy so that you can have that other people that you get to minister to. And I love that because that's God's word. He's turning Peter back around. And maybe God's word this weekend is going to turn your life back around. My disability's never going to go away. I'm never going to get rid of this disease. But my life can always turn it back around in spite of it. My life can always go full circle because of it. But do I trust what God wants for my life? Do I trust in the scribbles of my existence that he wants to write a story in me to be a megaphone for others? And I'm not just talking about noise. I'm talking about how I live my life in silence. 
when people see me in public. I was in Trader Joe's, uh, oh, this is a while back. There are people who stare at me. There are two kinds of people that stare. The rude stares, the ones that just level you with judgment that you're not good enough because you look weird. And the other stare is the curious stares. And I like to play around with those stares. So I have my shopping cart, and I'm going down the aisle of Trader Joe's. I like their snacks. And I'm pulling snacks off the shelf. And there's a, she's probably 80, no, 75 years old. I'll give her a little bit of grass. <laughs> and she's short, and she's a bubbly, and she's not saying a word yet. But she's not that far from me, and she's eyeing me. And I see her out of my peripheral vision, and I start to giggle inside. This is about to be fun. <laughs> and I go about my business, load my car with my junk food snacks. Actually, Trader Joe's is pretty healthy. So I'm, well, that's what they say. And she, she comes up with her cart because he wants me to notice her, like, really bad. She wants me to notice her, that she rams her car into my car, like when we were playing bumper cars. And I turn to her and I go, well, hello. And she smiles and she goes, I'm not exaggerating. You were so happy! <laughs> and I started to laugh. I said, what? I, I, I heard what you said. I just wanted the store to hear it. <laughs> you were so happy! And everybody in the aisle turned to watch us. And I turned back to her and I said, I am happy. But you know what? I'm more joyful than I am happy because happy is a fleeting emotion, but joy stays forever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And she just, uh, so bubbly and giddy, and she looked me straight in the eyes. She goes, keep doing what you do, whatever it is that you do because it sounds like you're living a really good life. Yeah, I, I am. Thank you. And off she went. God's word is used to turn you back around. It doesn't get rid of your circumstance. It magnifies it. Paul wants a thorn to be taken away from him in Scripture. And Jesus said, I will not. Because my power is made perfect when you are weak. You have to rely on me. It's not about you. God's word, men, turns you back around. That's how it's used. In Hebrews 4, it says that God's word is living and active, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, 
and even consider the intentions and the desire of your heart. It's that active. And when Jesus is speaking to Peter here, he's speaking God's truth, his word, because Peter's about to take the baton and start a mission that he didn't sign up for. And Jesus was about to release him. Yeah, feed my sheep, but tend to my lambs. It's not about noise. It's about being magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let my praise arise. Peter, that's you. That's your life. It goes on in verse 18 to say this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he stands to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who is that? Yeah, look at him. He even writes about it. He's so proud of himself. <laughs> Following them, the one who also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that who is it that is going to betray you? Stop. My second point this morning is this. God's word acknowledges. Acknowledges the implications of what it means for you to trust him. So after this conversation of, of Jesus restoring Peter, turning his life back around by God's powerful word given to him in his life to release him out to his mission, his purpose of living life, in these next verses we just read, Jesus talks about his suffering. Wait a minute, that's just so wrong. You're just releasing him to freedom, and now you're telling him his diagnosis of what the rest of his life is going to look like, specifically how he's going to die. And then Jesus has to guess after he tells him this information, <laughs> follow me. Ouch. That's harsh. But what's Jesus doing? He's marinating his soul. He's preparing Peter for great things. And to do great things means that you have to go through the fire. Means that you have to be willing to, to have faith, even when you can't understand the circumstances that you're in, to keep going. Can I talk to you about my dad? We weren't close. My parents divorced when I was two years old. And my dad was a father that would come in and out of my sister and my life sporadically. It wasn't consistent. 
there would be years where we would not hear from him. And he would show up at our doorstep to say hello. And it would confuse me and my sister. He would bring us gifts. We liked them, but after a while, they didn't mean anything because we didn't know the man who was giving them to us. And then in my eighth grade year, as we talked about this last night, I woke up with this muscle nerve disease. And when my dad heard of that, my relationship kept getting more distant from him. And now I would not hear from him for years. More than before. And I knew something was wrong. And I knew that my dad was ashamed of me because I wasn't the son that he had hoped for. I was scarred. I was bruised. And there were moments where I came to my dad when we would get together and I would confront him on it. I was just bold because it hurt me. And I just, I had to lash out words at him. Respectfully, I said, you are ashamed of who I am, aren't you? No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I was adamant. And it hurts me to no end. Chris, it's not that, it's other things. Like what? I still love your mom, and it's hard for me to come around and see you because she's there. You were divorced from her over a decade ago. I'm more poor to you. You guys are divorced. I'm your offspring. I'm your kid. Don is your daughter. You don't want anything to do with us. You're ashamed of who I am. I know you are. And I was so angry. I didn't want anything to do with him. And after a while, I no longer called him dad. I called him by his first name, Rick. And I, I didn't speak to Rick for years and years and years. Talk about God's word coming back around. Guess who I heard from? A decade later, when they buried my dad emotionally because they couldn't deal with the pain, it was my dad. But it wasn't my dad, it was a sister by Aunt Donna. And she called to say, your dad's dying of cancer. And he didn't step much longer to live. And I said, you need to call daughter Chris. And he was so arrogant, he couldn't do it. So I told him, I will do it for you. And so she did. She gave me my dad's phone number. I lost it. I didn't want it, so she gave me his phone number. And she said, if you want to reach out to your dad, do. But if you don't, I know I'm his sister, but that's kind of what he deserves. He's, he's made his own bed. I want to give you that opportunity if you want to take it. 
I didn't know what to do after that phone call. And Jesus was preparing us to be restored as human beings, Father, Son. In this context, Peter is being prepared to be restored back to the Father so that he can live in glory to give to other people who are broken. And he was given the charge, you need to follow me. And in this moment in my life with my dad, I needed to follow Jesus through this. And I didn't want to. So to make a long story short, I love it when people say that because it's just hilarious to me. The long story short, what? But because of time, I went to go see him. And he's on his deathbed. Oh, he's still walking around. But it's ironic that he was using a walker to get around. And one time he had to go to the restroom. And I saw him in the backside with his walker, and I start to laugh at inside. And I'm like, you're walking just like me. It, it's funny that you were ashamed of that. Now look at you, but I didn't say anything. He comes back, we sit back down. My dad is a different man at this day. We had not seen each other for over a decade. We're sitting face to face. And I said, can you please release me? You were dying. I know this. Can you please be honest with me about shame? I need to hear from your mouth, because I need to heal. You were ashamed of me, weren't you? And my dad started to cry. Yeah, Chris, you've known it. You got it right all these years. Well, why didn't you tell me that? I didn't want to hurt you. <laughs> it's already been done. But I thank him for it. During his absence, I became a speaker. So I brought a stack of E. Blake recordings to our meeting. And he said, what are you doing with your life? We just start talking about catching up things. I said, I'm a speaker. And he laughed. He goes, what? I'm a speaker. With what you have? Don't, don't disrespect, but your voice. I know it's, it's ironic, isn't it? Well, what do you speak about? The very thing that caused you to be ashamed of me, I told him. And he lost it. He looked up at me and he goes, do you ever talk about us? I said, all the time. And he cried some more. I said, do you want to hear, hear, know what I say? No. Well, here's some recordings. If you want to hear them, you're more than welcome to we talk about Jesus. He does what he do, do with the Lord. 
And actually, it was a five-hour conversation. We weren't angry. We weren't rude. We even laughed a couple times. And it was really good to see him, actually. We hugged. Said our goodbyes. My, Rick was not the same man that I knew from before. His cancer really humbled him. I can tell that he was very regretful of things that he had done. And I understood the power of what that meant for his life. I get in my car and I drive away. I knew that that was the last time I would see Rick Stimney in life. And I would be right. But before he passed on, he called me one day. Actually, we called several times before that even because our relationship is good now. He called me one day and he said, I listened to all your recordings from me, Blake. I'm like, you did not. I was playing. I knew he did. What'd you think? You're really good at what you do. Thank you. You're funny. Uh, thank you. And then I'm 33 years old, and I have loved to hear this from my dad, my wife. And it's the first time he ever added it to me. You know what he said to me? I am proud of you. And that just released me. But I had to follow Jesus to get to that end. Because I feel like in my life, Jesus is preparing me to tend to people. And that's through my brokenness. And that's through my speaking. Oh, he acknowledges the implications of what it means to trust. Goes on to say this. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? In other words, what are you going to do with his life? And Jesus was polite. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is unto you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Last point this morning. God's word is a mirror. That often conveys what already our, our, is telling us. We have things in our heart that is just speaking to us. But we're not acting on whatever that thing is. If this portion of scripture is so special to me because it talks about coming back around, it talks about a theme. It talks about your life theme. It talks about your life struggles. They're not going to go away, man. They're going to come back around. Even more intensely. 
and Jesus knows that to follow him, he acknowledges the implication of what that means for you to trust him in that moment. But his word is living and active. And it knows the intentions of our hearts and our desires and our souls. And it's a mirror, like a reflection. Reflecting back into our lives. About what our heart is conveying us with us. It's about tending to things. And to tend to something means you have to stay with it so that there is growth that results from that. My life isn't over. My story isn't complete. But he knows all my failures, man. He sees all my scars. Like that song said this morning, that the band wrote so beautifully. And still, in his mercy, I'm embraced because I'm his. Maybe some of you this morning have dad issues. Maybe you're not close to your father because of this or because of that situation. Or maybe you're a father and you're not very close to your children for whatever reason. And maybe what you would hope for for your kids to be doing is not what they're doing and it just discourages you from being involved in their life because you don't agree with it or that's not what you had envisioned for your family. But for whatever reason, that's where they are. I needed Rick Stimney more than I realized in my life. And I wanted to stuff him off and get rid of him mentally and not remember him anymore. Well, when my life came back around and I had to deal with my dad issues, it healed me completely. Where actually, when he died, I was a little bit angry that God took him so soon because our relationship was just getting started. And when he died, we had no regrets between us, none. I forgave him. He forgave me for my attitude. It was great. In this moment, maybe God wants to restore something in your life that he must let, that he was restoring in Peter's life. And maybe he's asking you a question. Do you still love me? Do you love me so much that you're willing to follow me no matter what it, whatever it takes? Don't, don't worry about the guy over here. Focus on you. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to be my follower. I want you to magnify by the way that you live your life like it's a megaphone that's loud. It's not noisy, but it's loud. 
Because the way that you live your life, people will see. You were so happy! I like those steps and stairs. I want more types of those stairs. Not to bring attention to me, but to remind me that I'm doing what God wants me to do. And oftentimes I get, I get so stuck with me. I'm a beater, true and true. I always worry about that guy over there. Why am I not married? Why don't I have children of my own? I have my woes be list. It's lonely being a speaker. It's lonely being single. I'm 54 years old, and that's, I still, like, that's a broken record, but that's my main struggle right now. I want that. And I once called a friend and boohoo to him over the phone about this, and I said, why is the grass always greener on someone else's yard? And I went to wanted him to feel sorry for me at that moment, but he didn't take the bait. <laughs> He's like, your yard being green. Chris, can I just tell you something? The greener your grass gets, the harder that thing is to mow. You need to worry about tending to your own yard. Because God's working in your life. And he's working in their life. Don't worry about their green grass. Worry about what you're planting. That was a powerful word. Amen. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that your word always turns back around on us. It never it takes away our brokenness. It just magnifies it. It makes our life a megaphone where it can be a, a noisy one or just a very loud, poignant one. You gotta pray for the latter for our lives. I pray for Dad as he's in this room. I don't know where they're at with that in their lives, but I pray, Lord, that they would find a resolution with children to fathers in some way. God, I thank you for Rick Simning. He brought me into this world. I wish I knew him better. But I'm more thankful that I got to you. It got to re reconcile with him. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to something greater than we could ever imagine for our lives. But the challenge is, 
Dear, we love you enough to follow you in the midst of that chaos. When life seems so uncertain. Thank you, Lord, that your word to us is a mirror. And it just reflects our lives. To what our heart is really already conveyed about us. We just have to be able to be doers of your word and not ears. God, thank you for these men. In Jesus' name we're praying. Amen.